0: Well, it's great to be with you guys this morning. It's always a pleasure to be with God's people. Amen? Amen. Oh, man, God is so good. Well, if you would turn with uh, me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. Um, What we've seen is I've had opportunity to go with you guys through this book. And uh, it's a challenging book because there's a lot of problems in Corinth. So as you go through, it's easy to take these problems and see how they can happen in our own lives. (laughs) Even if they're not something maybe we're struggling with at the moment, thank the Lord He gave us this because we can see their pitfalls and be warned by them, amen? I mean, isn't God gracious? And, um, you know, a lot of the things that we saw um, uh, that was going wrong in Corinth, they were a very... uh, a, a church with a lot of factions in them. That is to say that they, they, they wanted to segregate themselves because, oh, this is my favorite teacher, that's my favorite teacher. And it's just like, you know, and we see that in church today, don't we? You know, well, so-and-so is my pastor. You know, we're all going to be in heaven for eternity together. We're all going to the same place, amen? We're all a part of the same body of Jesus Christ. And anything that God does through your pastor or you is all God's grace. And that's Paul's point. He says, listen, everything comes from God anyway. And Paul deals with sexual immorality that had been happening and, and, and kind of in a way approved of or at least ignored in the church. He deals with them even suing each other. I mean, these guys had a lot of issues going on. And last time, last month, we, we saw in chapter 10 how they were really beginning to misuse their liberties in jesus and paul sums it up with how we ought to use our liberties and i love how he sums it up it's so helpful for us if you look in verse 31 of chapter 10 he says therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all for the glory of god i love that it makes it so simple and don't, aren't you glad that God whittles things down to the core issue for us? You know, I, I confess to you, and I think I've told you guys this before, I was a bad test taker when I was in high school. And it's because they want you to remember all these like little things. I, I took a college biology class, and they wanted me to remember the reproductive organ of a squid. And I'm just, I'm like, I don't care. But God doesn't weigh us down with all these little details. Yes, he does get detailed with us. But what he does is, is he then brings it all down to the heart of the issue. And how should you and I use our liberties? And whether we eat, whether we drink, and what we wear, how we act at work, whatever we do, how do we live? We ought to be pursuing the glory of God. And that makes it so simple for us. Lord, help me just to glorify your name in all I do. And so in verse 1, as, as you look there with me, in, uh, in chapter 11, um, if your Bible has it divided kind of like mine does, it makes it look like verse 1 actually belongs on the end of chapter uh, 10, which is probably more accurate. As we know, the chapter and verse divisions aren't divinely inspired. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Chuck one day, and he, said, um, he told me this uh, joke that he heard about how they actually did the chapter and verse divisions says the guy was riding in a buggy and every time he hit a bump he just started a new verse and then you know if it was a big bump it was a new chapter you know and sometimes it seems like that it's like why is that there you know like that's not the complete thought and and so as we look at verse one um, it's 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 probably more accurate that that verse belongs at the end of Paul's argument And and he says there imitate me just as I also imitate Christ and You know, of course, as we've been talking about what was going on in Corinth, there was a lot of false teachers. There was men coming in claiming authority, and they were trying to lead people away from Christ. And so Paul says, listen, just if you imitate me as I was with you, then you'll do well. But remember, I'm not telling you to imitate me because I want you to be like Paul. I'm telling you to imitate me because I want you to be like Jesus, because that's who I am imitating. And so by that, Paul is saying to them, listen, if anyone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to be like me, you know how you test them? Are they being like Christ? You know, we live in a culture that tries to emulate our heroes, don't we? I mean, we, ha- we have a TV show called American Idol. I mean, what does that tell you? And, and, and it's, it's frightening as you see young men and women, they want to be like Sports heroes, music superstars, and all of these things. We were made to imitate, but it's scary to see what our culture is imitating. You know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to be those who seek to imitate Christ. And you know, God uses those who just, they they, want to imitate Jesus. They want to be more like Jesus Christ. And Paul says, hey, so I want you to become an imitator of me just as I also imitate Jesus Christ. And I think Paul did that to help them out because they weren't doing a very good job of imitating Christ. (laughs) So he's like, hey, listen, I'm trying to imitate Christ, so uh, I'm a live example here. Look at me as I imitate Jesus. He goes on in verse 2, look there with me. Now, I praise you, brethren, as you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is uh, man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, this is an issue Paul begins to bring up that we have a hard time connecting with. Because we, ha- we, in our Western culture, have completely lost the significance of what a head covering is and what it means. I mean, you see someone with their head covered nowadays, and you, you associate that, we often associate that, with different religions, don't we? Like, oh, that person must be... A Muslim, if they have a certain burqa, or they they you know that person may be Hindu or you know, oh what what are they? But what did it mean in Paul's day and in Corinth? Well, back then in the Greek culture and especially in the Jewish culture, women's head covering symbolized that they were willing to come under the authority that God had placed over them in their husband or at that, if if they weren't married yet, in their father. But to help us out here, let's look look back at verse 2 with me real quick. I I love what Paul does here in verse 2 because he starts out with an encouragement. And this helps because, you know, Paul has been talking a lot about uh, things that they were doing wrong. And I love how gracious and encouraging Paul is here. Because in the midst of everything that was going wrong in Corinth, he just he stops and he says, no, I, I, I applaud you guys that you're that you are remembering me in all things and keeping the traditions as I delivered them to you. The problem is, is they weren't keeping it with the right heart. And so Paul goes on in verse three, he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Now stop there for a moment, men. Why do you make the decisions you make? Now, this is easy. I can pick on you guys all day because I'm a man. But men, what is to be the driving force of the decisions that we make? It's to be Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is our head. And that idea of the head course just like a head on a body is the decision maker the one in authority you know when you look at how your body works it's quite an amazing thing isn't it i didn't know this until after high school i'm sure i was told in high school but do you know that your nerves send a signal to your brain then your brain decides what that signal means and it sends it back to the nerves isn't that crazy Your brain tells your nerves what to feel. (laughs) That's how in control the noggin is. You know, I don't know how true this is, but I heard that in ancient Egypt, they thought what was in the head wasn't very useless, so they just kind of sucked it out. But they kept all the internal gut organs, thought they were more useful. I don't know if that's true, if they really thought that. But they were wrong. God has designed the head to be the center of decision-making. And so Christ is the head. No, notice the words here. Paul's very careful. Of how many men? Just a few? You know, God, Christ is the head of every man, except for kings and presidents. No. He is the head of every man. Now I want you to look carefully at what he says next and look at the words carefully and notice some words that are missing. The head of every Woman is man. Now I want you to notice the word woman, is that singular or plural? It's singular, isn't it? Is the word man singular or plural? It's singular, isn't it? What does that mean? It means the same thing that Ephesians 5.22 tells us. In fact, if you keep your finger there, turn with me to Ephesians real quick. Look at look at how careful God is with his word here. In verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And what does that mean? What, what is he being so careful to communicate? He's being careful to communicate this. God does nev- never says that all men are over all women. That is to say that men have the authority over all women and women should just basically be doormats in front of them. That is not what is communicated here. What God is setting up here is the structure of authority in the home and in the church. And he's very specific. If you turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, again he says, The head of the woman is the man. Notice the word every is missing in this statement. Did you see that? Before it said the head of every man is Christ. Now it just says, and literally when you go to the Greek, it says the head of the woman, specific woman, is the head of the man. Or I'm sorry, the head head of the woman is the man and then the last phrase i think really helps us out because so far let's just be real how politically incorrect are we being right now let's just let's just call the elephant in the room right our culture hates this the way god has set authority up and you take this to a women's lib rally and say this you're probably going to get stoned aren't you this goes very counterintuitive But what I want to guard against is swinging the other way, because what has often happened with passages like this is men have used it to be misogynistic and go way beyond their God given authority and their role as a man and as a leader. And we're going to look at that, too. So, ladies, please don't feel like we're picking on you. Okay? you have a amazing and beautiful role to play in God's design, and it's much more than being a doormat. Okay, so if you, you can put away your tomatoes now, you don't need to throw them at me yet. And bear with me, because we're going to look at the whole picture. I want to do that. I think it's so helpful. But I think the third thing that that Paul says here is really helpful for us too. Look at what he says at the end of verse three. It says, "And the head of Christ is God." Now, what does that mean? Well, we know when Jesus was on this earth, he often said, I don't do anything of myself. I only do what I see the Father do or what the Father shows me to do. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember the prayer well, don't you? He says, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, let your will be done. Quick question. Is Jesus, in value or essence, any less than the Father? No, he's not. In fact, that's why we have Philippians chapter 2 when it says that he considered, Jesus considered his equality with God not something to be grasped or to held on to, but he emptied himself and became a servant to all. The idea there is, is that Jesus is the same as God. He was equal and is equal with God in essence and in value. But he came under the authority of the Father. But that doesn't make him less than God. In fact, before Jesus was crucified, he said, Father, glorify me again with the glory I had with you before. And we know that Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ dwells, listen to this, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Let me tell you, Jesus is not less than the Father. He's not less than the Holy Spirit. But he placed himself under the authority of the Father for a specific purpose. And that was to save us. That was to make a bride for himself. And so as we talk about this, we need to understand that headship, that authority, does not mean greater in value. But I tell you what, that's what the world tells you, isn't it? How many times have you ever run into a situation where the person who had the had control of the situation was, uh, was not the best person to have control of that situation? <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic here how many presidents have we had who were actually the best person for the job? Just because they got into the Oval Office doesn't mean they're the best person for that job, but they have that authority, and we ought to respect that authority, even if we think we can do it better. So authority and headship does not mean that you are greater in value. And let me just say something. Ladies, you are not less valuable than men. Okay? That is not what's being communicated here. But he goes on in verse 4. If you look there with me. <clears throat> every man praying or prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Okay, so their culture, what does the head covering mean? It was a symbol that the woman, the wife, the the daughter was was willingly coming under the authority that God has placed over her in the man. And it it it, uh, it represents more than just her being subject to him. It also represents a protection and a covering that the man is supposed to be for his wife. Look at verse 4 real quick. He first addresses the man. He says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors his head. Now, who did, who did Paul just say was the head of the man? It was Christ, wasn't it? So guys, if we go with the symbol that God has not made us to lead our families spiritually, and we cover our heads, so to speak, and we... Become derelict of our duties and say no, I'm going to not be what God has called me to be. What are we doing? We're dishonoring Christ, aren't we? Now, I, I, to bring, help bring this full circle before we go on, forgive me, I'm going to have you turn back to Ephesians 5. Because I want you to see something very specific, and I'm sure many of you know this already, but I think it's very useful for us to see it afresh. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Excuse me, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. and of his bones husbands what does it mean to be the head of your wife it means this for us christians to pursue in everything to be like jesus was for his church and what did jesus do he laid down his life for his bride he was the one who stood between death hell and judgment For us, aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful we have a head like Jesus Christ who took our sin and shame and nailed it to the cross so that we don't have to spend eternity in God's wrath for that sin? I look at that and I, it just, man, it just causes my heart to well up with joy. And I gladly, gladly, and recklessly. Throw myself under the protection of Jesus Christ with no hesitation. Amen? That's what we do in faith. And you know what, husbands? We are to be that for our wives. We are to cover them. To yes, there's an aspect of leading and authority, but men, You need to be willing in that leading and authority to lay down your life for them. If my wife, and she doesn't, and sometimes I'm thankful, if she had a fifth degree black belt in karate, and there was a rumble downstairs, our bedroom is upstairs, even if she had a fifth degree black belt in karate and was more proficient than I am in hand-to-hand combat, who is God called to go downstairs and check on that? It's not my wife. That's not who God is called to go. He's called me because I'm to be the head. Think about the, 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 the idea of, of a, a covering is also an idea of protection, isn't it? And that is what God has designed men to be. And that is natural. Who are the first ones to volunteer to go fight wars? It's usually the men. God has built that in us. And it's not it's not downing ladies. It's not saying that you have a deficiency. It's saying that God has made you for a different and beautiful role. And God has made us for something. You know, we have this culture that wants to make everything and they call it egalitarian. And it basically means everything's the same. And we've messed this so much up, so much that we haven't stopped at homosexual marriage. We're now saying that boys can decide at any time that they're girls, and that girls can decide at any time that they're boys. And it's sad. And I say that, and I'm not making fun of them. And I want to make this clear: I'm not poking fun of them. And, I, and I'm not saying here with my nose lifted up, "Ha ha! You're too stupid to figure it out." Really? No. I say it with grief in my heart because these people are so lost and they're rebelling so much against God that they're willing to deny what is right in front of them. But God has made us for a purpose. And the issue here in Corinth is this, is these women were saying, well, we're free in Christ. So when they went to church, they would take off these coverings. Now in Corinth and in the Jewish culture, this could be a symbol of a prostitute. It also could be a symbol of an adulteress, a woman who has cast off the authority that is over her. So it's much more than just some outward show of piety. It's not like, okay, in God's grand fashion design, women have to wear hats and men shouldn't. No, that's not what it is. It's a symbol. It's a representation of something that's happening within And, you know, in our culture, we don't have this. So I don't expect you ladies to show up next Sunday, you know, with your heads covered. But you know what, wives, I do expect to see a wedding ring on your finger. Husbands, I expect the same. Why? Because it's a a symbol of the fact that I am under a covenant and I am keeping that. So our culture, yes, we're very different. They didn't do the ring thing back then. But we do need to be careful, because in our culture, we live in a culture that is rebelling against God at a rate that is astounding. So just because the culture says it's okay, does not mean that it is okay for us as followers of Jesus. We understand this, amen? The world is is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and he wants to do everything he can to destroy God's design. And so, ladies, there are fashionable clothes that are still not okay to wear. We're aware of this. Scripture calls us to be modest in our apparel. And that applies to men and women. But I tell you what, the enemy's working hard against ladies in that area, isn't he? To objectify them, to make them give things that should, are only meant for their spouses. And um, so... As we look back at verse 5, when he says, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered covered, dishonors her head. That is the authority God's placed over her her husband or her father. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now it's kind of like at that point you're like, Whoa, Paul, you may have just gone off the deep end. <laughs> but look at what he says in verse 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved... Let her be covered. Now, Paul's going to talk a little bit more about this later, and we'll get into it in a little more detail. But what he ends up saying is he says that God has given you ladies a natural covering in your hair. And so that's a natural representation of uh, the same thing that a head covering would be as well. But he goes on. Look at uh, um, verse 7. For for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, again, it's it's very easy for the feminists to go, oh, geez, again, downgrading women, huh? But let me do a quick math equation for you. This helped me understand it. Let me do a quick math equation for you, okay? Let's say man is A, woman is B, and the glory of God is C, all right? Those are the values. Those are the values. And the math equation goes like this A plus B equals C. You take away A, you're not getting to C. You take away B, you're not getting to C either. You take away the woman from man, and you've taken away a part of the image of God. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, I believe it's verse 27. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And then it says, and he made them male and female. Ladies, you're a part of this. The idea that Paul is saying is not that you're the glory of man because you're just less. You don't really have the same role as a man in in glorifying God. He's saying, no, you're a helper to man. And you help him accomplish his purpose in being that image in glorifying God. And so in verse 7, again, for man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so Paul goes all the way back to creation and he says, remember how God made it? This is his design. You know, and as, as you've often heard, I'm sure, it's the law of first mention. When you're wondering how something works, you go back to the first time it's introduced in Scripture, and you can see how God, most of the time, you, uh, uh, designed it to work. And what happened? God made Adam. And he looked at him, and it was the first time God said, No, something's missing. And so he put Adam in a deep sleep. He took from Adam's side, or some say rib, his rib. I think it was side. And he made a helper. And in Genesis it says he made a helper that was comparable to him. You see, Adam, just before that, had to name all the animals. Can you imagine? going through? Oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. Let's call them giraffe. Oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. That looks like an elephant. We'll just say that, you know. He's naming all these animals, and the closest he can get is a gorilla. And he's like, Lord, I notice there's a Mr. and Mrs. Lion, Mr. and Mrs. Cow. Where's, where's, my, where's my Mrs.? <laughs> he couldn't find a helper comparable. And so God puts him in a deep sleep, takes from his side, not from his head, not from his foot, the symbolizing over or under him in the sense of value, but from his side, that helper that is to come alongside him, be comparable to him, but yes is to be under the authority that God has given him. And so um, he goes on to say in verse 9, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And notice this interesting phrase. Because of the angels. Now it's kind of like Wait, was that a misprint? (laughs) What What are you talking about angels now? But it's interesting because as I I began to research it, there are numerous occasions where the apostles reference the angels as if they are watching us to see how God is going to work in and through his people to learn more about God's grace, his truth, and his love. And there's many of them, so we're not going to turn to them. But there's one in specific in Peter where Peter actually says that you get to see the things which angels desired to look into. And isn't it interesting that God has designed this universe and we, we, you know, I've never seen an angel. I've met people who claim to have seen angels. I've never seen them. I'm, I'm aware that God, that they are God's ministers and that they affect our lives and God uses them in our lives. But it's also amazing to think this, that we affect the angels that our conduct has an effect on the angelic realm, that angels are observing us. My friend one time said to me when I was in Bible college, he said, you know, it's like, when I learned that, like it really helped me when I was tempted and alone to remember I'm not alone. So I just picture myself like in this little like glass bubble that I can't see out of, and I'm just in an arena of angels that are watching me, waiting, waiting to see what I do. And, of course, we know God is always watching, too. But angels are interested to see how God's people will live out his design. And so, uh, um, verse 11 goes on, Nevertheless, and I love this, Paul brings it kind of full circle here. He says, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord for as woman came from man, even so man also came through woman, but all things are from God. And here he brings it all back. And I love how Paul does this throughout the book, um, the this letter to Corinthians. He says, yes, we all have roles. Yes, we all have different parts to play. But listen, it all goes back to God anyway. Like when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like it sadly is now. In the, uh, uh, even now, in, like you go to the, the western wall, we often call it the wailing wall in Jerusalem, they have it segregated. Or you have the women's section over here and the men's section. And the men's section is like huge. But it's not going to be like that in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're all going to be unified in Christ. I don't think there's going to be a male and female distinction. We'll, we probably will remember what we were. But we're going to be like, yeah, that was then. This is now. we got glorified bodies. And Jesus made it clear, you know, we're not given in marriage um, in heaven, you know. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of different dynamics in heaven. That's why Paul says, listen, you know, in the Lord, you guys are of the same value. You can't live without each other. Isn't that true? You know, there's times where I look um, at my wife as she's taking care of our girls. And forgive me, honey, I'm going to brag on you a little bit. But I look at her, and I see strengths that he, she has that I lack greatly. I do not have patience to play Barbies like my wife does. I mean, I'm like, all, all right, Lydia, I'll give you a five-minute storyline, and then Dad's out. Like, I can't handle the Barbie thing that long, you know? I can do other things. But I, I mean, I'll, I'll be downstairs, you know, doing stuff, studying or whatever, and, and Kel will be up there for hours with her, you know? And I mean, just, and just the, uh, the, the nurturing aspect that you moms have that is a lot of times sorely lacking with dads, you know? With our little boys, we see him fall. We're like, <clears throat> come on, get up. And what does mom do? Oh, honey, are you okay? Let's wash it off. Let's get a Band-Aid. And we're just like, ah, they'll bleed the dirt out. You know, that'll be all right, you know? And uh, yeah, But moms, they're just so nurturing. And, of course, I'm saying a general rule. This is a general rule of thumb. There's some men that are more nurturing than others, and there's some women that um, aren't, you know. But um, uh, God has made us to complement each other in our relationship. And so man is not independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man, for as the woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman. But God, all things are from God. Verse thirteen. Judge among yourselves: Is it proper proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And again, in our culture, it's kind of like, wait, I, I don't, I don't. That's hard to judge. But let me put it to you this way: Is it proper for a woman to be actively bucking the authority God has placed over her and outwardly rebelling? against his ordained will and order, but still trying to come and pray and act as if everything is okay. Or, let's take it to another realm of authority. Is it right for you to cheat on your taxes or your hours at your job and to still come to God as if all things are well? Is it okay for children to dishonor their parents and act as if they're doing the right thing. And I think to bring it full circle, first Peter, and I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want, but first Peter chapter three, I just want to read this really quick to you. But first Peter chapter three, in verse seven, listen to this it says, "Husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives." with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, listen to this, that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, can your conduct with your wife affect your prayer life? You better believe it can. And ladies, your conduct with your husband can affect your prayer life too. And what it really boils down to is are we willing to submit to the design that God has given to us? Are we willing to say, okay, you're God, I'm going to follow your way, not mine, not my culture's, not my friend's advice, but God's? And so he says, judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? I've got a few stories, but I don't think I have time to share them. But let's just say this dude had a really long hair and I mistaked him for a girl at one time. Um, And it was like really, really long. (laughs) But, verse 15, if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And so Paul's just saying, Listen, guys, I understand you have liberties in Jesus, but that doesn't mean you get to go and do things that communicate a rebellion to other people. That is to say, don't just go and act as if you can do whatever you want and clearly communicate that to people. When you go and you live among people in the church, make sure that God and His glory is sought first, that His authority, His word is placed first and foremost. Now, ladies, just in closing, I want to encourage you with this. Your role as a wife, is to depict the bride of Jesus Christ. You are a representation of the church of God, of the bride of Jesus. That is an important role. And God has designed you for that. He's given you strengths that us men don't have so that you can accomplish that role. And every relationship's a little bit different, and I know I'm speaking in very wide-sweeping generalities, but with your own discernment, weed through those and just look at the picture of Jesus and his church and recognize God's made me to be his bride, the one that he loves so much that he gave his life for and husbands, husbands. Or to depict that love of Christ and lay down our lives for our brides. That's a high calling, isn't it? It gets rid of all misogynist tendencies. It, gets, it kind of quiets down the women's live movement for those that are believers and makes us realize that it's God's plan we need to follow and God's will. And if we don't, what we say is, Instead of your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying my kingdom come, my will be done. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it, church? So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you for calling us out of darkness and into light. We thank you for giving us purpose. And Father, as we play out our lives We know you've made a design, and we know you have a purpose, and we know you take that design seriously. And so, Father, we pray that we would be faithful to your calling in our lives, that we would seek you above our own agendas and above our own purposes, and that just as your word says, that we would always consider others better than ourselves, and we would seek to serve all. And in your precious name we pray, amen.